This message was presented at the GYC 2014 conference at the Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Good morning, everyone. Did you get some rest last night? As much as you can possibly get at a GYC. They keep us running, but it's good stuff. Uh, I want to just share with you this morning, again, we're finishing up our series, A Call to Arms, How to Fully Engage in God's Church. We're looking at how to give Christ-centered Bible studies. This morning, what I'm aiming for is just very practical, hands-on information. I want you to be able to leave this seminar and feel comfortable giving a Bible study, asking questions. On Sabbath afternoon, we're going to be looking at how to make appeals how to call someone to a decision for Jesus Christ. And for many of us, that's the most terrifying part. I can share a glow track, I can do call portering, but then when you have to get to the end of the lesson and say, do you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior? What are they going to say? What if they say no? How do I know if they're ready to make that decision? That's what we're going to be looking at Sabbath afternoon. Before we begin this presentation, please bow your heads with me for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I am so thankful today because we are assured that it is not by might nor by power, but by your Spirit. God, we come to you today and we are pleading for and claiming your Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord. May you please teach us, Lord. And Father, as we learn these principles, may you bring the names of our family and friends to mind, people that you would have us to reach for your kingdom, Lord. May you soften their hearts and guide us in your way as our prayer. In Christ's name. Amen. I have often dreamt of having an experience like Philip. Imagine you're in your house and God says, I want you to go. I have a plan for you. I have a divine appointment. So you go on your way to the desert and as you're going, you see a man that's studying the scriptures. You stop over and you say, do you understand what you're reading? No, I have no clue. Well, let me explain it to you. And moments later, the man is baptized. Isn't that the ideal? Isn't that what we dream of? That's the ease of evangelism. But often in life, we're just praying and searching for those divine appointments. God, bring them to me. Show me hearts that are ripe. Recently, I was traveling back from uh, Missouri, and I was on a flight, sat now next to an older gentleman. And as soon as I sat down, I look over wanting to greet him, and he turned away, (laughs) looking at the window. That's never a good sign. Immediately, I realized, all right, this isn't going to work. I won't be able to share with this individual. I was hoping to be able to build that spiritual uh, connection, and and obviously, it's not going to work. And so I pulled out the tray table, and I pulled out my Bible, and I start to read my morning devotions. And and as I'm going through the book of Ephesians, it's not long before the flight attendant comes by with, with soda, and she offers some to him, and he reaches out for a soda, and accidentally spills it on my Bible. My Bible is now drenched, and I'm fumbling around with napkins trying to get it all cleaned up. And and after I get it cleaned up, he looks over at me and he says awkwardly, I guess I'm definitely going to hell now. (laughs) Spilling soda on someone's Bible, I guess that would merit hell, huh? And I look at him, and have you had those moments where you say something without thinking? I have those moments far too often. I look at him and I said, well, actually, I don't believe in such a place. You would not believe the look of shock that he gave me. 
here I am, a Christian, reading the Bible, and you're saying you don't believe in this eternal hellfire. And, and he looked back at the window. Conversation over. At least so I thought. A few minutes later, he turned back and he said, you know, I used to believe in God too. Really? He began to tell me the story of when he and his wife were working down, and I believe it was Panama, and his little daughter became very, very sick. The doctors told her she wasn't going to make it through the night. The father, of course, went to God and he cried out and said, if there is a God, save my daughter, don't let her die. And over 30 years later, she is still living today. I used to believe in God. And I told this man after listening to his story, you know there's a God that still answers prayer today. There's a God that still wants to have a relationship with us today. By God's grace, that opened up a beautiful spiritual conversation, and I was able to leave a little Bible study track with him before I got off the plane that day. A divine appointment. A man looking out a window, but God using a spilled soda to open up the door to his heart. <clears throat> you never know how God will use you to reach others for his kingdom. You see, there are people all around us that are asking questions. They're asking questions such as, if God is a God of love, then why am I going through this suffering? If God is a God of love, then why did my parent die? If God is a God of love, then where was he when I went through that divorce? People are asking questions. And by the grace of God, we have the answers in his word. What a beautiful opportunity we have to share it with others. Today, as we emphasize giving Bible studies, what is the biblical rationale for doing so? Isn't it more effective just to get in front of a whole city and just start preaching the word? Why the one-on-one -on -one in home Bible studies? I want to share with you something called the Soul Winner's Time Chart. Now, for a soul winner, our goal is to reach one person for Christ every year. And by God's grace, do we not only reach that one person, but we teach that person to reach another one. Reach one and teach one to reach one. Let's say that there is a gifted evangelist. This evangelist is winning a thousand people per day. Would you say that's a gifted evangelist? Absolutely. A thousand people per day, and here I am, the lowly Bible worker, and all I can win to Christ in a year is one person. So it's myself and that one person. After one year, the evangelist has 365,000 converts, and there I am with my one convert. Do my efforts seem in vain? How do they compare? Going on three years later, we see that he has one million, and there I am with eight. What's the point of personal evangelism? After eight years, nearly three million, and I just have my 256. Granted, 256 is a nice-sized church, but still it doesn't compare. But as time goes on, we're going to see a dramatic change. After 23 years of me just reaching one person every year and teaching that person to reach another... The evangelist now has 8.3 million souls, and likewise, I, the lowly Bible worker, have 8.3 million souls. It's amazing, isn't it? It's not about just that one seed, but see how it can expand under the hand of God 
After 24 years, I am double that of an evangelist winning 1,000 per day. After 26 years, nearly seven times the evangelist. Do not feel, do not think that your efforts are without fruit, that they are in vain. One soul per year teaching that soul to reach another. Look how great the harvest will be. Christ Object Lessons, page 146. It is not the capabilities you now possess or ever will that will give you success. It is that which the Lord can do for you. We need to have far less confidence in what man can do and far more confidence in what God can do for every believing soul. He longs to have you reach after him by faith. He longs to have you expect great things from him. Are you expecting great things from God? Are you expecting great things in your community? Are you expecting great things in your church? Your God is longing for you to expect great things. I am so thankful for this promise because it is not about the capabilities that I now possess or I don't possess, but it's about what God can do through us as we continue to surrender and to seek after him. So how do we find these Bible studies? I want to give a Bible study. Where do I start? First, start internally. The disciples were told that they were called to go to the uttermost parts of the world. But where were they supposed to start? At home, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the world. And it's the same for us today. Don't go out to the uttermost parts of the world until you've gone to your home until you've gone to your neighborhood and to your community. One of the best sources for starting Bible study is a church visitor list. How many of you have a, a registry book out in the church foyer and people sign it when they come in? How many of you have that? All right, for how many of us is that book then taken and dumped into a drawer after you get their autograph? Is that the purpose of the book? Not at all. What a great opportunity to grab that book out and say, I want to visit every single person that has come to my church. If they have come to your church, does that mean they have a spiritual interest? Absolutely. Start where there's a ripe harvest. Go to those ripe fruit. Secondarily, missing members. Again, the disciples were called to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel first. Have we reached out to the lost sheep of the house of of God's remnant church. Why did they leave the church? What's happening in their life? How can you bring that restoration to them? Third would be youth in the church. How often they are neglected or pushed aside or the mommy and daddy drag them to church. Use them for the gospel. Encourage them to participate in outreach. Individuals who have gone through a previous series how many of you have run a prophecy seminar at your church in the last two years? Last two years. Wow, okay, actually not that many hands. I'm surprised. So the last two years, first off, if you haven't run one, start that evangelism cycle. But secondarily, for those of you that have, there should be an interest list that you gathered during the seminar of each person that has attended and what decisions they made. Now's the time to go back to that list and say, okay, where are those people today? 
are they still attending church, those that were baptized? If not, go and visit them. What about the people that came to a seminar and never made a decision? Are we continuing Bible studies with them? Now's the opportunity to go back and continue to nurture that relationship. Next would be media interest. You can call up various ministries, Voice of Prophecy, it is written. Uh, of course, I work with Amazing Facts, so I would recommend also Amazing Facts. And they will give you an interest list. Now, in this interest list from Amazing Facts, it says the name and contact information of everyone in your community that has taken our correspondence Bible study lessons. It also shows which lesson they've taken and what their grade is on that lesson. So you know where they're at spiritually, what questions you may encounter. Uh, it's a very, very valuable resource. So I'd encourage you to call Amazing Facts, ask for the Bible school, and then ask for the interest list. And they will email that to you or to your pastor. So let's say that you want to start Bible studies with a friend. How do you start there? Again, we're starting with those that are closest to us. Who should I invite to start Bible studies with me? First step, pray and ask God to reveal people in your life that you can reach for the kingdom. The first step in evangelism is always the same. Prayer. God, who is it that you're working on? What heart is receptive? What person is crying out? We may not realize it. Number two, don't limit God. I think often of the story of the demoniac. If I had been there with Jesus on that day, would I have been like the disciples? The disciples see this crazy man running towards them, naked, chains on his hand, cuts across his body, and he's yelling and running and going to attack. How often I like the disciples, I'm going to run away. Get me in the boat as far as we can go and as fast as we can go. But Jesus looked at a demon-possessed man and he said, I see a soul winner. I see someone that can be a missionary. In our families, in our friends, do we have people that we think are too far for God? Oh, they'll never become a Christian. They'll never do Bible studies. Don't limit the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Don't limit God. If God can make a demoniac into a missionary, God can do that in your family too. Don't limit God. The third thing that we're looking for is the crisis of losing or the crisis of gaining. We all know that when someone goes through a crisis in their life, their hearts are more open and receptive to receiving the gospel. Now, a crisis of losing, give me some examples of things that people could lose that would create a crisis. They lose a family member. They lose children. What else? A job. They lose their job. What else? Friends? Absolutely. Absolutely. Their home? The crisis of losing. But what is the crisis of gaining? Have you ever met someone in your life before? And they have a plan, they have an agenda. As soon as I reach this point, then my life will be happy. As soon as I graduate from college, oh, life will be so easy. As soon as I get married, oh, perfect bliss and harmony. As soon as I retire, all day long I'm at the beach, all day long I'm golfing. 
And then they reach that point that was supposed to be ultimate happiness, and they find what? Disappointment. Emptiness. I'm still not satisfied. That's the crisis of gaining. I've gained what I thought I needed, and it's still not enough. Another opportunity to reach them for the gospel, their heart is softened for it. Four, identify the people Jesus may be calling you to reach and write them down. Why should we write their names down? To remember them. So we can pray for them. Isn't there an increased accountability when their name is written down? It's not just in my mind, now it's on paper, I need to do it. An increased accountability to follow up with your relatives, your friends, coworkers, church visitors, classmates, and neighbors. At the end of this program today, we're going to take a few moments to pray and say, God, what names are you impressing on my heart? We don't want this to just be theory. How can I apply this? God, who can I start Bible studies with today? Here's some suggestions for what you could say to your friends as you're, you're trying to offer these Bible studies. You and I recently talked about our need to know God better. What would you say to the idea of us getting together once a week to study the Bible? Very easygoing, non-confrontational. Have you recently had a spiritual conversation with your friend? Maybe you've been talking about all the craziness that's happening in our world right now, with terrorism and the unrest in the Middle East. You and I recently talked about how could a God of love allow all this suffering? What would you think about us getting together once a week and just spending half an hour looking at these answers from the Word of God? Here's another idea. I took this class on how to give Bible studies, hint, hint, and they gave us this set of Bible lessons. The first study answers the question, can we trust the Bible? I'm supposed to practice this study with someone. I thought you might be willing to help me out. It would only take about 30 minutes. Would you do me a favor and let me practice my study on you? Do friends want to do favors for you? Absolutely. They're your friend. I need to practice. Can you help me out? It's very important to list the first subject in your study or something that's going to be of interest to you, to them. The reason for doing this, it's called salting the oats. How many of you have heard of salting the oats? I have a, I have a horse. I have a Clydesdale. Big horse. I need a big horse. Uh, and that horse is stubborn. As the saying goes, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. But you can salt the oats. And what happens when you put salt on their oats? They get thirsty. And they're the ones running to the water. And it's the same in our Bible studies. Salt the oats. What are their interests? What are they curious about? What do they want to know? Salt the oats. Keep mentioning it throughout your study so that they're engaged. Yeah, I want to know that. When are you going to share it? Next week in our Bible study. Do we have to wait until next week? Yes, we do. Next week, you'll enjoy it. Continue to salt their oats. All right, we're going to look now at the ABCs of giving Bible studies. Three very brief principles to apply in every Bible study. The first is, of course, the most essential. A, always present Jesus first. 
The center of every Bible study is Jesus Christ. When you think of the book of Revelation, what words come to mind? What concepts? What words come to mind for most people in the book of Revelation? Prophecy. What else? In times. You have beasts. You have the mark of the beast. You have Armageddon. You have plagues. You have destruction. That's what often comes to mind for people. But as Adventists, we know that the book of Revelation is a revelation of Jesus Christ. That is the point. That is the purpose of the revelations. So that we can come to a deeper, a deeper understanding of Jesus Christ. So that we can grow to more fully reflect his character. Evangelism, page 264. The very first and most important thing is to melt and subdue the soul by presenting our Lord Jesus Christ as the sin-bearer, the sin-pardoning Savior, making the gospel as clear as possible. The very first and most important thing. Desire of Ages, page 826. The wonderful love of Christ will melt and subdue hearts where the mere reiteration of doctrine would accomplish nothing. Nothing. I can repeat the doctrines all day long, but if they don't see Jesus in it, their heart will not be melted. Recently, I was at work, and I got a phone call. The man on the other end of the line said, you know, I've been taking the Bible studies and amazing facts, and, and I'm really enjoying them, and I'm learning a lot, but I have a question. How can I ever be good enough for God? It's an easy question, isn't it? What's the answer? Can we ever be good enough for God? In and of ourselves? No! No, all have sinned and fallen short of God, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And so I begin to share these Bible passages with him. Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, Revelation 3.20, Isaiah 59.2. I'm sharing all these Bible passages with him. And at the end of all these Bible passages, he says yet again, but I just feel like I can never be good enough for God. Was he not listening? And I start sharing more verses, Jeremiah 29, 11 to 13. I'm just firing them off at him. And at the end of that conversation, do you know what he said yet again? I just feel like I can never be good enough for God. <sighs> Frustrating. <laughs> Was he not listening? Didn't he just hear the verses? And finally, in that moment, I did the thing that I should have done at the very beginning. I prayed. God, I've given all the answers I know. What else should I say? And the Lord impressed on my heart something I had never said before. I said, you know, for many people, they have a a negative picture of God because of the influence of their own father in their life. Because they had a strained relationship with their own father. I had barely finished my sentence before he said, that's it. You see, his father was extremely abusive. Extremely abusive. He would work so hard to try and get good grades and keep his room clean and do everything his father asked, but at the end of the day, he knew those beatings would come. He could never be good enough for his father. In fact, 
The beatings were so severe that they ended up taking the life of his little sister. And he had taken this picture of, God, of his father and he had put it on God. That's who God is. I can never be good enough for him. And it wasn't until I understood his heart that the power of God's word could change his life. Pray. Ask for God's discernment. Always present Jesus first. Jesus is the answer to every question. Secondarily, reveal truth gradually. This is so important. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18 tells us the path of the just is as a shining light, and it shines more and more unto the perfect day. How many of you were raised Adventist? Okay, so most of the congregation here. Well, for those that, that were not, you can think back to the time when you first learned about the truths in the church. Imagine if at the very first evangelistic seminar you went to, opening night, you learned all 28 fundamental beliefs. Would that have been a little overwhelming? Absolutely. Time and time again, I've had to counsel with uh, attendees that have come through our seminar, and they learn about the mark of the beast, about the papacy. And they say, you know, my whole family is Catholic. I can't wait to tell them these things. And you're pulling them back. <laughs> Remember, it took you a process. Don't overwhelm them too quickly. I was serving as a missionary in Central America, and I was absolutely loving the experience there. It was, it was roughing it. We went for a little over a month with no electricity. Often there would be no running water. You're doing your washing your clothes by hand. You had to put a cheesecloth over the, the shower head because sometimes little worms would come through it. Right? So this is, this is the experience I had, roughing it. Dirt roads, the whole shebang. And I remember doing dishes one day, and in the, in the pots we would do the dishes in, we would put a little bit of chlorine. That way it would kill off all those little nasty parasites we don't want swimming in our tummies. But one day, as I'm washing the dishes, my hands began to burn. Somebody had accidentally dumped way too much chlorine into that water. And I have a little white burn still on my arm to prove it. Was the chlorine a good thing? Absolutely. We needed the chlorine to purify the water. But is too much of a good thing bad? Absolutely. It can be. So remember in your studies, reveal truth gradually. You know so many things and you want to share them all. Remember there is a time and a place. Reveal truth gradually. And lastly, make regular appeals. Volume 6 of the Testimonies, page 64. At the close of every meeting and Bible study, decisions should be called for. Why is it important to call for decisions regularly? Why is it important? Good. Do a temperature check. See where they're at. Good. What else? Yes. Good. Solidifying that interest. Good. What else? 
Yes. Good. If the Holy Spirit is convicting them now, you don't want them to delay. Make that decision then. Very good. I've seen this happen at prophecy seminars before where someone is afraid to ask for a decision and so they don't ask for the decision until one of the final nights. And they're saying, all right, would you now like to give your life to Christ and join the remnant church? And the person in the congregation is thinking, okay, so that means I need to keep Sabbath, which I'm still even not sure about, and I need to give up all those unclean foods and quit eating Miss Piggy, and I need to give up this and that and this and that, and I'm still not sure about this. That's overwhelming. That's too much. They need to be able to make those steps gradually. For you ladies here that are married, how many of you fit in that category, by the way, so I know who I'm talking to? <laughs> okay. Well, for the rest of us ladies as well. Imagine if you are on your first date. You meet this guy who will eventually, yeah, you meet this guy, first date, right? And you're there at an Italian restaurant with a candlelit there and eating your pasta and he leans over and he looks at you and he says, will you marry me? What would you ladies say? I'm hoping for a little more emphatic no here. <laughs> Absolutely not. First date, he could be an axe murderer, right? <laughs> you know nothing about this guy. And it's the same in evangelism. I don't want to ask them to make a gigantic decision at one time. They don't know enough. They don't have enough information. Make those decisions gradually. Evangelism, page 333, reminds us there is no greater bliss on this side of heaven than in winning souls to Christ. All right, we're going to transfer now to some of the nuts and bolts of giving Bible studies and going through it here quickly. The time outline of a Bible study. The first eight to ten minutes when you arrive at someone's home for a Bible study, I like to focus in on social time. My goal during those first eight to ten minutes is I just want to connect with them. I want to show them I care about you. You're important to me. I want to see those family photos on the wall. But I'm also listening. I'm listening for the trials they may be going through, the questions they may have, the family member that's in the hospital. I'm building those connections. The next 30 to 45 minutes is where I focus in on study time. So now we're opening the Bible together and we're going through the lesson. <clears throat> The last three to five minutes is moving towards your appeal and decision. Uh, and that then concludes the Bible study. Don't stay longer than one hour. <clears throat> Excuse me. I just returned from a mission trip to Nepal. And as you can imagine, going to Nepal in the winter and having cold showers and typically no heater, you're bound to come back with a cold. So do forgive me. Um, I want to emphasize silent prayer partner. It's very important to go out two by two. When the disciples went out, did they go out alone? No. They were sent out two by two. That's God's ordained method for success. So I would encourage you as well at your church, find someone you can go to um, Bible studies with. Find someone that is committed to that. Now we would encourage one person to be the silent prayer partner and one to take the lead in the Bible study. You don't want to have two people talking over each other. 
And if I am working towards a point and the second person jumps in and gets to that point first, I'm like, ah, I wasn't going there yet. I was taking time. And there can be conflict between the two. Another reason for making sure that one is just the silent prayer partner praying only to God and the other is taking the lead is because we need to be in constant prayer. That Bible study will only be successful if God is working on their heart and softening it. So keep one silent prayer partner. Another point to consider is not to stay longer than one hour. They may desire, they may insist on you staying longer and they want to keep socializing, but don't overwhelm the saints. I remember following up on an interest list for Amazing Facts, and I met this lady by the name of Judy. And I went to her house and just talking with her and then offering Bible studies, and she said, I don't know. I don't know about the Bible studies. So I asked her if she had any questions. She said, you know, the last person that came to my house offering Bible studies, he stayed at my house for four hours. <laughs> really? And she told me that, yeah, you know, I showed him around my yard. I showed him my garden and my birds. And, and so I can imagine that Bible worker was probably thinking, oh, good. We're building a relationship. Even though Judy was wanting to show her yard, still all she remembered at the end of the day is, he spent four hours here. I'm not doing that again. So make sure that your Bible studies are less than an hour. Leave with them wanting more, not with them wanting to kick you out. Okay? <laughs> One hour or less. All right, social time. What are we doing? I'm looking around their house and I'm recognizing things of interest. Their pictures, did they go on a trip? What countries have they been to? I'm starting conversation. Be a good listener. Again, the focus is not us. Move beyond yourself. The purpose is listening and caring to them. Use good body language. If I am giving, I wish I had a chair up here. If I'm giving a Bible study and I'm just kind of chilling out, hanging back, what, is, what impression does this give? I am not interested. If I am doing this all the time, what does that show? Looking at my watch, I want to go. Are we done yet? Make sure that you're practicing good body language. In a Bible study, I sit forward. I'm looking at them. I'm excited. And what you'll find is they're going to do the same. They will mimic your body language, and that also increase their interest. Respect their personal space. Now, this varies based off the person and off of the cultures. In some cultures, if you don't greet them with a big old hug, it's almost an insult. And in other cultures, some of our European cultures, I have my little box here, do not enter. Right? Have you met people like that? So respect their personal space, what makes them comfortable. Good eye contact. Make sure that you aren't looking around and you're actually looking at the person that you're studying with. Keep good eye contact with the shell but also don't intimidate them by staring at them constantly. Okay, so there is a difference, but make sure you have good eye contact. Voice and expression. Are you monotone or are you able to make the Bible study of interest to the individual? Are you excited, are you passionate, or are you boring? Okay, make sure that your tone is showing these things. I would encourage you before you go out to give a Bible study, practice it on your outreach partner. Get some feedback from them. All right, after the social time, we move into our study time. I'm going to ask them if they had a chance to work on their lesson. Notice I'm not going to say, did you do your Bible study? 
that a little intimidating? I am not their preschool teacher, their, great, their high school teacher, right? So did you have a chance to work on your Bible study lesson? Oh, okay, great, either way. All right, I have an opening prayer and I keep it short. And then a short introduction to the Bible study. Now in your opening prayer, an important thing to remember is to include yourself in the prayer. Let's say that I'm having a prayer at the beginning of my Bible study with Ryan. Lord, today, as we study your word, help Ryan to understand. Help it to be clear to Ryan. Help him not to be distracted by the things around him. How would that make you feel, Ryan? A little uncomfortable? Am I targeting him? And yet, I hear that prayer offered so many times. Remember to include yourself. God, as we study your word today, help us to learn. Teach us from your word. Help us to understand. Include yourself in the prayer. Now, at the very beginning of the Bible study, I basically give a commercial of what the Bible study is going to be about. If the Bible study is on the state of the dead, I may say, people are wondering today, what happens after death? After that very last breath, what comes next? Nothing? Heaven? Hell? Torture? What comes after death? The Bible clearly reveals the answer, and today we are going to find the answer in the Word of God. I have a short prayer, and then I move into the Bible study. Do you see the commercial there? I'm heightening their interest. If our study is on the great controversy, people around the world are asking the question, if God is a God of love, then why is there suffering in the world? If God is a God of love, then why am I hurting? Where is God in my suffering and pain? Today we're going to find the answer in the Word of God. Have a prayer, move into your Bible study. So again, a little commercial to create that interest. Make sure, again, the Bible study is Christ-centered and you're connecting with them personally. Appeal and decision. Now you're asking, how will this study affect their life? So you've just given them information, but what does it mean to them practically? How are they going to take this and make it a day-to-day -day reality? You're making an appeal. You're asking for a decision. I then seal that decision in prayer, give the next Bible study, and I leave right away. Why? Why should you leave as soon as the Bible study is concluded? Good. So the Holy Spirit can make an impression. If we then start talking about the weather and talking about sports, after I leave, will they remember anything we studied about? No. They're going to be thinking about the weather and the sports. I want to leave on a spiritual note. I want to leave with the Holy Spirit still working on their heart and impressing these realities into their life. All right, giving the Bible study, as we talked about, salt the oats, smile, be excited. They will catch on to that enthusiasm. I encourage you to use their name frequently. People enjoy hearing their names. It shows that, hey, I care about you enough to remember your name. You're important to me. And of course, include yourself in the prayer, as was mentioned. All right, what if they ask me a question that I don't know the answer to? What do you say? Has that ever kept you from doing evangelism before? All right, I know it has for me. What if they ask me about the mark of the beast? I remember when I first started giving Bible studies and do outreach, and I didn't know a lot of these things. Or I knew it, but I didn't have a Bible study fully prepared on those subjects. 
What do you say? That's a great question. Always affirm them. I'm so glad you asked. I don't know the answer, but this week I'll study it more. It is a good thing to admit you don't know everything. It's a good thing to admit I'm not the teacher here. We're learning together. I don't know. But this week I'll study it more. It is so much better to say I don't know than to blunder your way through an answer. I don't know. Or you could say, why don't we both study this question and we'll share what we learn next week. Let's both study it out this week and we'll come back and share it together. All right, what if they ask me a question that will co be covered in a future lesson? Mm. That's a great question. We have a subject coming up on that soon. It's better for us to cover these foundational subjects first. I don't want to ruin it for you and a five-minute answer won't be enough. Let's wait until the subject, okay? I promise it'll be worth the wait. So put that off, but get them excited. Use that opportunity to salt their oats. All right, what should I include in any study? Now, what I'm going to recommend, again, there's a very short time that we're looking at this together. I would recommend two things. First is the book Winsome Witnessing by Gary Gibbs. Winsome Witnessing by Gary Gibbs. Excellent, excellent resource that, again, gives more practical advice on evangelism. Secondarily, why reinvent the wheel? Take a good Bible study series that you like. It could be the Storicles of Prophecy or another series that you're familiar with. Take that Bible study and say, how can I make it my own? Many of the Bible studies you'll find are just very, very logical. They're just hitting the head. But how do I turn this Bible study into something that's going to reach their heart? How do I share this Bible so that it's in an interesting way, again, that's going to draw out their interest? So this is what I would encourage you to add to any Bible study that you are working with. First off, you have your introduction. Now, your introduction could be you just sharing the story of Absalom and how he turned against his father. And likewise, a similar war happened in heaven where there was a, an angel that turned against the God of heaven. Today we're going to look at how this conflict has affected us and who will ultimately be victorious. Okay, so whatever you want to do for your introduction, that will just create that interest where they want to learn more. Teach me more, I want to know. You're going to be adding in three to four main points, two illustrations, one personal testimony, a summary, an appeal, and then your final decision question. We're going to be talking more tomorrow about the appeal and the final decision question. So again, I would encourage you to get that historical lesson or whichever Bible study lesson you're going to be using and add this information into that lesson to make it more personal. Now, as uh, we put this together, I do have a form online. If you go to gycweb.org and you click on the seminars, I do have a, a form there that you can fill in with this information so that you can remember, okay, now I need my introduction, okay, now I need my main points, illustrations. So I would encourage you to utilize that resource, or again, feel free to email me. All right, we have three to four main points. I'm going to go through this fairly quickly here. Your three main points. What are the three most important things you want the person to remember? So you're going through a Bible study, and it has 15 questions. At the end of the day, how many of those questions are you going to remember? One, maybe two. 
Choose three that you're saying, I want to emphasize these three points. These three points are crucial, and I just want them to remember these three. Have you ever heard a sermon before and the pastor gets up and says, today we're going to be looking at 15 points on redemption. And in your mind, you actually start counting down, oh, only point seven, point eight. oh, how many more do we have, right? And at the end of that whole sermon, you remember probably the last point and the first point, and that's it. It's so much healthier just to have three, just three main points that we're looking at today. So look through your Bible study. What are three main points that you want to glean from that Bible study? On the Sabbath, is your main point that the Sabbath was given to us as a gift at creation, and God wants to have that special relationship with us today. Second main point, Jesus kept the Sabbath, and so did his apostles. Likewise, we will be keeping the Sabbath in heaven. Third main point, if we, God is calling us to keep the commandments out of love for him. Okay, so just three main points that you can glean from your Bible study lesson. I would encourage these main points to be two sentences long, the first sentence is your main thought. Here's my point. And the second is, how do I now make this personal? Again, I don't want to just give information. I want this to personally apply to their life. At the end of the Bible study, then you review these points with them. You're including personal testimonies. Uh, include a short story about how God has worked in your life. Why is it important to include a personal testimony? They can relate to it. And it shows them that this is real in your life. It's not just about Daniel and Joseph of old, but there is a God today that works in our lives. Okay, so in every Bible study, have at least one or two personal testimonies. Now, your personal testimony doesn't just have to be your conversion story over and over again. Well, when I was baptized, right? No, it could be how God is working in your life today. It could be about an answer to prayer that you had, a miracle story. Share a testimony. Third, I would encourage you to use illustrations, at least two illustrations. Did Jesus use illustrations? Yes. Give me some examples. Parables. Okay, which parable? The, the shepherd, the ten virgins. The sowing of the seed, Absolutely the harvest time, the fig tree. And so then as they were going about their work and they see the woman that's sweeping her house, they think of that coin that she's searching for, right? As they're going through the fields and they see someone plowing, they're thinking back. And that's the point for illustrations. Illustrations create interest in your study. So if they start getting kind of bogged down in all the verses and you share an illustration, they're like, oh yeah, that's right, I get it. it makes sense to me now. It clarifies what you're discussing and it creates interest. Again, all these points are online. Sources for illustration, your personal experiences, uh, news. If you read a good news story about a mom that rescued her child from a burning um, house, save those stories and use those. Stories of heroes of faith from nature or illustrations you've heard other people use. Likely, they borrowed those illustrations from someone else. So feel free to recycle them yourself. All right, so what to include in every study? We're again including that introduction, three to four main points, illustrations, personal testimony, summary, appeal, and final decision question. I know that I've gone through it very, very quickly here. Online again at gycweb.org, next to my seminar, 
you will see a link for a full document, I believe it's about 10 pages long, that goes into more detail on how to find these illustrations, why we use illustrations, how to create those main points. And then of course I'll also be around here at GYC this weekend, so if you have any questions, feel free to, to stop me and I'd love to, to discuss it with you a little bit more. .org. You can also email me at cmcsherry at amazingfacts.org, and I'd be happy to send that to you as well. All right, so just a few tips. Again, you're wanting to make the study more interesting. So take that Bible study, whichever study you want to use, add these points to it, make it something personal that is going to be passionate to you. If you are not excited about that Bible study, if you are not passionate about it, don't share it. Go back to your room, go back to your house and pray, God, give me a love for your word. Give me a passion for souls. Give me the words you would have me to speak. We are told in Testimonies for the Church, volume 9, page 150, our work has been marked out for us by our Heavenly Father. We are to take our Bibles and go forth to warn the world. We are to be God's helping hand in saving souls. Channels through which his love is day by day to flow to the perishing. Our work has been marked out by our God. We are to take our Bibles and we are to go. Go out and reach souls for Jesus Christ. In closing, I want to share with you a story that happened in 2008. There was a man by the name of Cassano Luque, 27-year-old man. He had recently become a Christian. And he applied to come to the AFCO program, our four-month session. But Cassano's application was denied. You see, Cass had just undergone his fourth brain surgery. He had reoccurring tumors, and, and the AFCO staff at the time said, you know, Cass, we would love to have you come in the future, but now's not the time. AFCO's intense. There's a lot of information, and, and we know that you need time to recover from your surgery. Consider coming a future semester. But you see, Cass would not take no for an answer. He knew that God had called him to come, and he was going to come. So opening day, guess who was there? Cass. Here is a 27-year-old man with a walker, with a patch over one eye. But he is passionate about the gospel. He wants to learn all that he can for the word of God. He's always excited about what he is learning and desiring to share it. I was told one day during outreach, the students were heading out to knock on doors and give Bible studies, and it was pouring rain. How many of us would want to go door to door in the pouring rain? And the students were grumbling together like the, the grumblers of Israel. Don't want to do this. But out of the corner of their eye, they see a man stand up with his walker in hand and move towards the door. Cass looked back and said, I'm going on outreach. Who's going to drive me there? What dedication. He loved the Lord. He did not know how much time he had to share the gospel that he so dearly treasured. It wasn't long before those, those migraines came back, before that familiar pain was there and and Cass knew what the diagnosis would be before he even went to the physician. But this time he was told that it would be terminal. Cass was in the hospital, and some of the students went to visit him. 
Many of the nurses came up to the students and said, you know, we have decided to be Christians because of Cass's life. He was refusing all drugs and morphine and all medication because he said, I want my mind clear to focus on my Savior. I want my mind clear to witness to those around me in the hospital. And here he is in great agony and he is leading nurses to Jesus Christ. Two weeks before his AFCO graduation, Cass took his last breath. But see, Cass believed in the power of God. Cass believed that the word of God can change lives because it had changed his life. And Cass' dying breath was in prayer to his Savior. I want to have that experience. I want to reach out to those. I may not be on my deathbed, but maybe they are. They may not look like it, but God knows their heart. Now is the time. Now is the time to reach and to share with others the love that we ourselves have for Jesus Christ. In closing, we are told, Christ's Object Lessons, page 327. Each has his place in the eternal plan of heaven. Each is to work in cooperation with Christ for the salvation of souls. Not more surely is the place prepared for us in the heavenly mansions than there is a special work designated on earth where we are to work for God. Amen? God has a special plan for you. God has a special work for you. May God bless you as you fulfill the calling before you. Heavenly Father, we come to you as your servants, desiring, Lord, to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Please fill us with your spirit. Teach us what to say. Impress upon our hearts the names of those you would have us to reach. Lord, you know their hearts. We don't. Teach us, Lord. May we truly reveal the Son is our prayer. In Christ's name. This message was recorded at the GYC 2014 conference at The Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.